0: I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success, because together we're more. How's everybody doing out there? I hope you'll enjoy this really interesting episode with my guest, Chrissy. And just FYI, I asked her to read about her relatives because there was just so much good info and documentation out there that we didn't want to miss. So we'll be interacting, but she'll also be reading to you here and there in today's episode. Can't wait for you to hear it in Yakoki, y'all. We start our journey today in Noxabi County, Mississippi, a name derived from the Choctaw language meaning to stink. It's the site of historical importance to the Choctaws. In the 1760s, Chief Pushmataha was born in Naxabi. And the most significant treaty was signed in Naxabi County, the Treaty of Dancing Rabbit Creek. In September of 1830, US commissioners arrived in Naxabi ready to negotiate the succession of Choctaw land. Well, I say negotiate, but the end was already in mind. Dancing Rabbit Creek, known as Bok Chukfi Ahidla, Bok is creek, Chukfi is rabbit, and place to dance is Ahila. Several trails accumulated onto this site, including Six Towns Trail, which passed by the creek connecting the Chickasaws and the Choctaw Nations. And in 1811, even Shawnee native Tecumseh utilized the trail with his warriors as they passed through. Prior to the gathering, a Choctaw council house was built for what's known as the Lower Choctaw in the Northeast District. Supplies were set up in a tent, cattle was butchered, and beef prepared for the three to 6,000 Choctaw who gathered each day. Gamblers were provided with gambling tables for both whites and Choctaws, and dangerous activities ensued. Tables were knocked over, and gatherers were bullied by troublemakers such as black-headed Bill McGrew. The Choctaw danced through the night while alternatively David Folsom led Christian services. Choctaws camped along Dancing Rabbit Creek and the Whites encamped in random spots. Chiefs Greenwood LaFleur, Mishala Tubby and Nitaketchi, as well as John Pitchlin, who was an interpreter, and Choctaw warrior Hapai Ishkitini were present. And so on September 15, 1830, George Struther Gaines, and commissioners John Eaton and John Coffey, appointed by President Andrew Jackson, all representatives of the government gathered at Dancing Rabbit Creek in Nuxabi County with Choctaw leaders to settle what ultimately became the surrendering of 11 million acres in Mississippi by the Choctaw, the move to Indian territory imminent. The most significant treaty among the Choctaw was signed by the U.S. and the Chiefs on September 27, 1830, and ratified on February 25th, 1831. Amongst these goings-on, there once lived a prominent Choctaw woman named Suki, who lived with her husband and two kids just up the hill from the treaty grounds. What did Suki have to do with the treaty? My guest today is here to share more. Listeners, please welcome Choctaw gal, Chrissy Gray-Dickmeyer. Chrissy, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I love your family history. I love the stories about the cabins that our listeners are about to hear. Sorry, spoiler
1: alert. Um, Now, you grew up in Oklahoma, right? Yes, I did. I grew up all over Oklahoma, actually. My uh, my father was in the public school system as an industrial teacher, principal, and superintendent. So we started out at Lake Efalla, and then we went to live in the Panhandle, came back to about the uh, central part of Oklahoma, and finished up at Caney. Well, so my neighbor was asking me the other day,
0: what's in the Panhandle of Oklahoma? And I responded, dinosaur tracks dinosaur bones and mountain lions I once went there with my <laughs> Christian school when I was about 11 and we stayed out there to see Haley's Comet and I remember there was no electricity and no running water and there were mountain lions but to be honest with you it was a blast I love just terrain that is barren like that it's just really cool out there and we didn't see Haley's Comet although the folks back home in Inadarko did so tell me you had electricity where you lived
1: I did. Um, We grew up living uh, in the houses provided by the schools.
0: And they provided electricity, which is great. And how about mountain lions? Did they hang out with you
1: or what? Um, I never saw a mountain lion, (laughs) but I I went fishing and hunting with daddy and I I could hear the cries of them, but I never saw one.
0: Yeah. And when you hear that cry, you never forget it. Right. Because I still remember what that sounded like when we were out there absolutely i also remember um it was freezing cold at night and then burning hot there during the day but that was in the summer of
1: course is it the same in the winter it is the winters were a little bit colder um there was lots and lots of snow Hmm. i remember one winter we couldn't hardly get out of the house because the snow was packed to the roof wow Yeah, I can barely picture that because
0: all I remember is the desert. And honestly, like I said, the the crazy thing about it is it sounds like, oh, what a terrible place, but I think it's beautiful out there. And it's just, again, kind of this godforsaken country. It's barren and there's dinosaur bones and it's just really cool. So yeah, it sounds like your dad moved y'all around uh, quite a bit. And then where did you graduate from high school? Um, I graduated from Caney High School.
1: Okay, and then uh, married? Uh, yes, I married my college sweetheart and graduated from Southeastern Oklahoma State University in, in sociology and psychology, and we have two children. Kirsten is 22 and Jackson is 12 years old. Oh, that's great. Um, recently, you were mentioning to me that your
0: father really inspired you. How so?
1: Um, He's inspired me to do a lot of things. Um, I learned from him how much he loved the school system and the children, and I wanted to be able to help children myself, so I became a social worker out of college, Mm -hmm. and I started out uh, with the Chickasaw Nation Indian Child Welfare, and then worked for the Arapaho tribe in Wyoming on when was... Wind River Reservation. And from there, I went into adolescent counseling and behavioral health rehabilitation. Great, so it
0: sounds like you did some wonderful work for our indigenous people. And you live all the way over in beautiful North Carolina now. How's everything out that way?
1: Oh, it's amazing out here. The the fishing is amazing. The summers aren't as hot as Oklahoma, but the winters are about the same. Okay.
0: I've got a great picture of you in your Native Chalk Talk t-shirt sitting on this. I think it's a porch swing and it's just beautiful. You can tell the green behind you and the trees and everything. So I'll be sure to post that on the Native Chalk Talk Facebook page. And now you run a nonprofit called the Edwards Store. And we'll get into that interesting piece of history in just a moment. But let's pick up where I left off earlier starting to talk about Sookie.
1: Yes, my family story began about 190 years ago in Nookswee, Mississippi, at the home of my seventh generation uncle Hartwell and my aunt, Suki Hardaway. And as you said, the year was 1830 and it proved to be a difficult one for Native Americans. President Andrew Jackson's administration and Congress enacted the Indian Removal Act. Which, that was a huge stab in the back because just a few years before,
0: the Choctaw had fought with Jackson in the War of 1812 and he pledged his loyalty to them and how quickly he forgot, forgotten, was determined to rip them from their homelands and send them off to Indian territory.
1: Yes, you're absolutely correct. The Dancing Rabbit Creek Treaty began in September of 1830 as the first removal treaty. And my seventh grade uncle, Hartwell Hardaway, a veteran of the War of 1812, was a white man often described as an Indian countryman. And they lived atop a hill from the treaty grounds with his wife, Sookie, and two children, John and Nancy, about a half a mile. So, yeah, so just a half a mile away from their home
0: was this crucial negotiation and final decision. All of that took
1: place just really close to their home, right? Yes and during the Treaty of the Dancing Rabbit Creek U.S. Commissioners John Eden and John Coffey stayed at my family Hartwell and Suki's homestead. Suki was a prominent member of the Choctaw tribe and she also served as the hostess during the treaty meetings.
0: Okay wow again the first time you told me that I just about dropped my jaw. So those U.S. Commissioners stayed at Suki and Hartwell's home and as mentioned earlier, Andrew Jackson appointed Coffee, who was supposed to act in Jackson's place, and Eaton, who was the, who was the secretary of war, and they were the commissioners who stayed in Sookie's home. So I have just wondered, like, how Sookie felt about that. I mean, she's Choctaw and she's married to a white man, so she has one foot in her family's heritage and another foot in her husband's world. Do you know if she was in favor of or against the treaty or even hosting these men? I mean, there's she's housing the white men who want to uproot her family members and move them
1: from their ancestral homes. Do you know anything about that? Well, with all the research that I've done, I would say that Suki and her family fought long and hard to stay on mm-hmm. their land, so I feel that Suki and family resisted the treaty maybe not having a choice but to help host the party.
0: Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this last night and I was thinking well maybe you know the Choctaw are known for not all of them are all the same you know but they're kind of known overall as being very hospitable and, and good people who want to be helpful and all that. And so I thought, well, maybe they were just like, hey, we may not agree with what's going on, but our home is open to you and you can stay here. So that's kind of what I made up in my head last night.
1: <laughs> so uh, so what happens next? Um, six years after the Dancing Rabbit Creek Treaty was put in place, Sookie Hardaway was given U.S. citizenship in 1836. So that was six years later.
0: So by the way, I remember you're telling me the other day that it took you 20 years to find Sookie's name. I went and did some research online and on ancestry.com and everything I found sure enough said Hartwell Hardaway's name. So her husband's name married to Indian woman and with no name. And isn't that so how it goes when we're researching, I just felt for you. Cause I was like 20 years. Wow. So Kudos to you. I love when people find those nuggets of information, even if it does take 20 years, so congrats. So So Suki and Hartwell have two kids, right? You mentioned that earlier, okay. John and Nancy. Okay, so something I think that's interesting as you and I were talking the other day is that the treaty was ratified in 1831, yet it was a while before Suki and her family migrated to Indian territory, now Oklahoma. So why do you think that is?
1: I believe Suki didn't want to leave her
0: homeland. Mm -hmm. That would make sense. It's too bad that in all these records, they don't also provide the human element of why and how and what were they feeling? (laughs) That just wasn't done. I, I mean, diaries. Thank God for diaries that some families have, but most of us aren't that lucky. So. All right. So when did they head
1: to Indian territory then? In June of 1847, they joined a band of Choctaw Indians called the Big Black River Band, which was a group of about 200 Choctaw natives. And they met at Fort Coffee and then headed over to Indian territory. So after arrival
0: to Indian territory, from here, we follow Suki's daughter, Nancy's
1: story. So tell us more about Nancy. Nancy Hardaway, the daughter of Sookie Hardaway, made her home in Indian Territory, and this is where she meets and is courted by my sixth generation uncle, Thomas Edwards.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So Thomas sees her and is like, yes, beautiful. And she does have, she is a beautiful woman. So where does Thomas Edwards come from? Between
1: 1847 to 1850, he arrived in the U.S. He had previously traveled the seas at a young age. He left his homeland in Europe, traveled to Australia, and then came to the United States around the Horn of Africa. He arrived in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and here he learned about booming business of trading posts. He then travels to Poto, Oklahoma area, and learns the trade of a pioneer storekeeper for himself.
0: Well, wow, he sounds like an interesting fellow in that he loved travel and took this big chance coming over to the US and and setting up the store. So you shared with me a very interesting book called The Edward Store or Old Red Oak by I.C. Gunning, which was super interesting. It sounds like from the book that Choctaws who had arrived in this area, they needed those trading posts so that they'd have tools for farming and building homes and other supplies for everyday living. And these trading posts needed to be in, quote, convenient places accessible to perhaps 50 to 60 families in a radius of 25 miles.
1: Yes, and so this way Thomas becomes a very important partner with
0: the Choctaw Nation. So Thomas learns about operating a trading post and he serves the Choctaws, and then it's time for him to marry.
1: Yes, Thomas Edwards and Nancy Hardaway married in about 1850, and they made their home at the foothills of the Sand Boys' Mountains on Fort Coffee Clear Boggy Bottom Road. That's a mouthful.
0: <laughs> Fort Coffee Clear Boggy Bottom Road. Love yes. it. We need to make a song out of it. Okay, go <laughs> ahead.
1: <laughs> Both Thomas and Nancy Hardaway Edwards had many children who died in infancy. The family cemetery is to the west of the homestead and later became known as the Hardaway McCain Cemetery. Also, Thomas was also adopted to the Choctaw. Ch- tribe through his marriage to Nancy Hardaway and together they had approximately 160 acres.
0: Uh so the 160 typical acres allotted to each tribal member I'm assuming.
1: So tell me more about the home they built on these acres. They built a modest two-room cabin made with the surrounding red oak trees. It was equipped with living quarters, a kitchen, and a well and each room had its own chimney and i'll note that each room's chimney was dry stacked
0: yeah for our listeners so it sounds like that means without mortar or feel free to explain more for people like me
1: (laughs) it's chimneys that are stacked rock on rock without any mortar between them wow how did they stay up
0: was there something on the outside
1: like a mortar on the outside just not in between the rocks no, the 1850 chimney that's still standing had actually been standing for 171 years without mortar in it. That's amazing. Smart guy,
0: that Thomas. <laughs> in the book mentioned earlier by I. C. Gunning, uh, he mentions that Edwards decided to build a two-room house, a kitchen, dining room, and a bedroom with a breezeway between them. And the breezeway was a feature of practically all Choctaw homes of this period, And I think that's interesting too, because I've seen some homes like that. And I never realized that that was a Choctaw thing, even when I was in Choctaw country seeing homes like that. So that's pretty interesting. I'll be sure to post a drawing of what the layout looked like on my native Choctaw Facebook page. So tell me more about this
1: significant piece of history, the Edwards store. The Edwards store was a trading post that sat in front of the two room cabin. Thomas supplied the store with goods from Fort Smith, Arkansas. He would make a run to Arkansas with his horses and buggy and fill up staple supplies and bring it back to the store to sell to the local people.
0: Okay. In that case, I wonder how far Fort Smith was from
1: where they were living. Do you know? I don't know by horse and buggy. I know it's about an hour from where the, the cabin sits.
0: Okay. Yeah, because it's in like that southeast corner of Oklahoma, right? Yes, yes, yes. Choctaw country. Okay, in the book, it talks about how many folks saw the stores as a place to congregate and quote, the Edwards store thus became an important center of community activity and social life. Produce to sell, supplies to be purchased mail to be sent and received and stages coming through with strange people brought many natives to the store every day where no doubt they exchanged local views and news. A storekeeper was in a position to become an important personage in such a community and his word would come to carry much weight in local affairs. Sounds like this was the place to be. I can just picture it. It was probably a lot of fun and just a gathering
1: place. And so what did a store like this typically sell? The goods that were sold at the Edwards store consisted of flour, sugar, coffee, salt, tobacco, medicine, cloth, and other frontier staples. We learned these things from Thomas Edwards' journal ledger that he kept on the store records.
0: You know, one thing I thought that was so funny in the book was I was reading that at one point they ordered a ton of molasses. Apparently people in the area loved their
1: molasses. Do you remember reading about that? yes molasses (laughs) was abundant and to this day my uncle my great-uncle E.C., who grew up at the cabin still loves his molasses
0: really that is awesome we should like term it the molasses capital of the world i mean i wish i would had written down from the book how much they said it was but it was like gallons of molasses
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then even the mail ran through there huh Yes, in 1858 to 1860, the Butterfield Overland Mail Route ran through Indian Territory and had been organized and put into action by John Butterfield. The Edwards Store became an important meal stop along the route. Ah. Passengers traveled along the Butterfield Trail, could eat a meal prepared by my great aunt Nancy. Hardaway Edwards, and they could rest their horses at the Edwards store before moving on towards the next stage stop. Wow. I wish I could go back in time
0: and see this. I can just picture it. But speaking of horses, the book also states, near the house is a Bois d'Arc hitching post that once stood in front of the store. And one wonders what well-known Choctaws hitched their horses to this post, and also how many notorious outlaws and prominent frontier marshals or Choctaw light horsemen used it. What an exciting story this ancient hitching post could tell about the activities that took place in front of it. Uh, Yeah, if hitching post could only speak. So then comes the Civil War,
1: right? Yes. By the spring of 1860, John Butterfield was ordered to stop all his routes, collect all of his equipment. And this was the beginning of the Civil War. Thomas and Nancy were among the last loyalists to leave the Choctaw Nation to travel to Fort Smith to seek refuge. It's unknown whether they stayed in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and for how long they stayed there. It's been rumored that the family cabin was abandoned and that family had taken care of the old home place while they sought refuge. Oh,
0: wow. So much going on. And then we have the Homestead Act.
1: Yes, by the spring of May 1862, the Homestead Act takes place and Native Americans are forced to sit, settle on the reservations. Thomas Edwards joins the military and serves as first sergeant in Company H1 of the Choctaw Mounted Rifles under Captain Joseph Moore. And he served as a rank of acting adjutant in the same company at Grand River Indian Ter- Territory, which is most likely near Muskogee, Oklahoma. Okay, so we have the Civil War, then the Homestead
0: Act, and then we have a proclamation by President Lincoln.
1: Yes, in 1863, President Lincoln issues a proclamation of amnesty and reconstruction. We find that Thomas Edwards was with Colonel Jackson McCurtain, and Colonel McCurtain also sought out Thomas Edwards, a citizen of the Choctaw Nation and of Sugarloaf County to make the McCurtain's place at a meeting that was held at General John McNeil's headquarters in Van Buren, Arkansas, which was about five minutes from Fort Smith. The year 1864 then leads Thomas to serve as convention secretary where he recorded the meeting minutes. He then goes on to issue his own proclamation from Fort Smith, Arkansas.
0: Wow, it seems like Thomas is in everything.
1: (laughs) He's everywhere in everything. And
0: so something interesting happens with an establishment of the Choctaw Republic, correct?
1: Yes. It's at this meeting that he's elected the governor of the Choctaw Republic. The establishment of the Choctaw Republic was an attempt by a group of leaders near Scullyville and in close proximity to Fort Smith to come to terms with the U.S. and hope to save the Choctaw Nation. From the expanded harshness of the coming post-war Reconstruction. This provisional Choctaw Republic, however, was not recognized in Washington, D.C., and the Reconstruction Treaty that was negotiated for 12 days in Fort Smith, Arkansas in September of 1865 followed. It's thought that his election as provisional governor reflects his status in the region as a prominent businessman. And to the Choctaw citizens, he states that they once possessed the most beautiful country between the Arkansas and Red River. It can again be yours.
0: Oh, wow. Then
1: what does the ever-so-busy
0: Thomas Edwards do next?
1: In April of 1866, Thomas Edwards testifies at the Jackson Rice hearings in Fort Smith for five days. Oklahoma, as a name for the surrounding area. This is suggested as part of the realignment of the five civilized tribes, tribal territories, and forced movement of the Western Native American tribes into Indian territory. And now that we're in Old Red Oak Indian Territory, the date is March of 1868, and Thomas Edwards establishes a post office in Old Red Oak. By April, Thomas Edwards went to Washington DC, providing information on a bill pending to create the Oklahoma territory. Thomas Edwards then sails down and spends the rest of his life tending his family business. In 1870, Thomas Edwards builds onto the Edwards store cabin and attaches a breezeway. And then Thomas Edwards passes away in 1883. Well, he had a very long, good life, that's for sure. And
0: I love that he left some legacy behind with this Edwards Store cabin. So what happens next to his wife, Nancy, then?
1: And Nancy Hardaway Edwards, she was left to attend to the business with the help of her nephew, Jesse Hardaway. And she dies in 1888, leaving the family homestead and business to her nephew, Jesse Hardaway. Jesse relocates his family to the Edwards Hardaway homestead and opens a blacksmith shop at the store. And he also becomes Justice of the Peace.
0: Wow, following in his uncle's footsteps. (laughs) And so now the constants
1: in this story is the store. So what happens next to the Edwards store then? In 1889, Jesse builds a three-room addition onto the cabin, completing what we see as the Edwards Hardaway cabin today. The town of Old Red Oak is moved when the railroad came through to a different location about seven miles away, and it was incorporated in 1900. The business at the Edward store was closed. And so why did it close then? I don't think trading posts could keep up with the goods brought in by the railroad.
0: Okay, makes sense. A lot of those towns dispersed here and there just couldn't stay open.
1: So, all right, what happened to the store then at this point? After that, in 1972, the Edwards store was listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and a historical marker was placed at the family homestead. The Edwards store cabin remained occupied as the family homestead was passed down through generations. My great-grandmother, Lula Ward Hardaway, lived in the cabin until her death in 1981. This is the place my grandmother and father called home. My father, Jeff Gray, he spent many years taking care of the homestead. He sought help for 20 years to restore the Edwards store cabin without success. And he unfortunately passed away when I was 20 years old.
0: Oh, so sorry to hear that. But you've made it your mission now to honor his memory.
1: Yes, yes. I sure have. Today, the family homestead has been passed down to my generation, and in honor and memory of my father, I've promised to fulfill his dream of restoring the homestead. I've spent 20 years preserving the family documents, antiques that came from the cabin, and doing family research. Wow, that's wonderful. So in the same way that I'm here to honor
0: our ancestors by preserving their stories with this podcast, Your mission is to preserve the store in honor of your father and your ancestors. I think that's just lovely. So what happens
1: next for this piece of history? Well, in 2018, we organized a nonprofit corporation called the Edwards Store, Inc. to preserve, protect, and share the historical site with the public, especially for future generations and for educational purposes. In 2019, the Edward Store Inc was awarded a grant from the Oklahoma Historical Society Heritage Preservation Program to stabilize the log cabin's two native stone chimneys dating from 1850 and 1870. And those chimneys we talked about earlier, they're important parts of this project, right? Yes, absolutely. And we were able to stabilize the chimneys from total collapse just in the nick of time in February of 2020. And then in 2020, we were awarded a contract by the State Historic Preservation Office to update the 1972 National Register listing. The update is being conducted in conjunction with Preservation and Design Studios, LLC, in Oklahoma City and will be considered by the Oklahoma Historic Preservation Review Committee in October 2021. Wow, big stuff. So where can we all find out more information and see photos of this really cool piece of history? We are on social media. I have created a Facebook group and we currently have about 850 to 855 members. Wow. <laughs> We're also exploring other social media platforms such as Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Recently, we also published our own website, EdwardStore.com. And and I love the
0: website. It's great. You've got photos on there and it's a great place for people to kind of get caught up on um, the, the general overview and some of the history and then start diving deeper in there. And I recently joined your Facebook group too, and loved looking at all the updates and the photos. It's kind of like a little, um, fun group of people. there are all enjoying hearing about this Edwards store. So what do people search to find your group again? The Edwards store. Easy enough. <laughs> I'd yes. love for our listeners to check that out. So check out Edwards store on Facebook and see how cool it actually is. It's, um, Wow, it's just such a neat piece of our history for many reasons. And in the meantime, do you have any words of wisdom for myself or our listeners?
1: I think we should honor our ancestors by preserving and restoring our Native American heritage for our future generations. I love that. And, you know, it's never too late to do that. I
0: remember when I was younger. I was always interested in history and somewhat of our family history but I was not into documenting any of it or preserving it and to this day I have a lot of regrets because there were things that back then we could have preserved and kept and documented and so here I am in my 40s and I'm finally starting to do things like that so it's never too late any age whether you're young or older or whatever it is it's really important to start doing that kind of thing so good words. Um, Before we go Remind me how many years the cabin's been in your family? The cabin's been in my family for 171 years now. Wow, and one thing I love about visiting old cabins is that old kind of musty but lumber smell to it. Does it still have that smell about it?
1: It has an antique, rustic, lumber, you know, raw lumber smell, You're, you're, you're correct. I love that.
0: And then it's in a beautiful location too from what I can tell from the photos.
1: Yes, it sits on the top of a hill and you're surrounded by the San Moise Mountains completely around it. And it's absolutely surreal and peaceful. Well, and I think that that's
0: probably the most beautiful part of Oklahoma. If people come here, I think they'd be surprised. There's so many different terrains. I mean, we were talking about the Panhandle, which is like desert out there. And then you go, you know, Caddy Corner, southeast down into that part of southeast Oklahoma close to Arkansas and like you said you have the Sandboys Mountains and it's just beautiful. So you've done this great work helping to preserve the Edwards store and what's next for y'all in this endeavor?
1: Someday I hope to move to Red Oak and retire there and just work at the store and work on keeping it preserved and keeping it open to the public.
0: Love that. That sounds like a perfect way to retire. Doing what you love, honoring your father and ancestors and breathing in that fresh sandboys mountain air sounds like a little slice of heaven to me. I just may come over with some sweet tea and sit a spell
1: with you. That sounds great. You're invited to come over. I sure will. (laughs) Yeah, cookie.
2: Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutta Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds, and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chata Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people.
0: Thanks for listening to Native Choctaw. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at NativeChalkTalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends.